So let's turn to the Word of God. If you would, take your Bibles and go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. I also bring greetings to you from Jared and Libby Dwork. Any of you may remember them. They are in our church. We're uh, just delighted to have them with us at Heritage. Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to dive straight into the text uh, this morning, and yet, as we do, it will suffice to say that as you read this, the writer is going to provide for you a language that will immediately instigate images in your mind of a race. Images of a race will come to your mind, and What God wants you to understand is that if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this morning, you're in a race. Like you've got numbers across your chest, you've got a jersey, you're on a track in a stadium, and you're called to run. So let's read this passage together. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. God, thank You so much for Your great grace. You truly are amazing. I thank You for the songs even that you allowed us to worship you by this morning. God, we do stand in awe of you as we behold you seated on your throne. You're high and lifted up. You're amazing. You are incomprehensible. And yet as we try, we're amazed by your greatness. God, we recognize as we behold your holiness and behold your glory, we recognize that we are sinful. We are finite. We're weak. And we need your help. And we praise you that you sent Jesus to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming, for doing what we could never do. Thank you for being our mediator. We praise you. And God, we ask that you would intervene in our hearts this morning, that through your spirit you would allow your word to be alive in our minds and in our hearts. And I pray, God, that you would bring about necessary encouragement and conviction and challenge to us that we might run. And I pray that you would continue to bless uh, this church. And I pray that you would continue to use OBC to be a gospel light in the greater city of Omaha. Well, thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. passage of Scripture begins with the word, therefore. Therefore. And you will immediately recognize that that word, therefore, connects the passage before us to everything that has come uh, behind. And so, as you consider that word, therefore, consider what the book of Hebrews is all about. What has chapters 1 through 11 taught us? Well, it would take a long time to really unfold all that's there. But to some, we understand that the book of Hebrews is primarily given to Uh, The representation of Jesus Christ as the great high priest. Jesus Christ as the 
great high priest. Jesus Christ, who is God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who came. He came with a purpose to redeem a people for His own glory's sake. So, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came to this place. He lived perfectly right while here, doing what you and I could never do in keeping God's holy standard. He met the law to the letter, and He fulfilled it. And yet, Jesus Christ willingly, willingly went to the cross. He willingly volunteered to be nailed to a brutal Roman cross. And there, God poured out upon His only Son. He poured out on Jesus His stored up wrath for sin. And Jesus, because of His great love with which He loves all of us, okay, Jesus, because of His great love, endured it. And there in those moments as He hung on that Roman cross, He absorbed the wrath of God for sin, and He exhausted it and shouted, It is finished. Thus, He, the high priest, did not sacrifice a lamb. He became the lamb. And He was sacrificed on our behalf. He was buried. And yet on the third day, He rose again, triumphant over the grave. Amen? All right, I'll tell you guys, just like I told first service, I'm kind of unapologetic or unashamed about asking for amens. I kind of beg them out of you a little bit, and so let me give you another run at that one, all right? <laughs> On the third day, he came up out of the grave, triumphant over sin, death, and hell. Amen? Amen. That's good. Well done. And uh, in his risen state, he ascended up on high and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and there makes intercession for us. So He is our great high priest. He is our mediator. As Timothy tells us, as Paul tells Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He died to bring us to God. Wonderful to think about. So as you think about the word therefore, certainly it should elicit in our minds these thoughts that the writer to the Hebrews has taken so much time to unfold that we have a great high priest. But also, as you notice in Hebrews chapter 12, it is maybe even primarily connecting it to what has just immediately come before. So look at your text. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What is that all about? What is this great cloud of witnesses? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 in Christian circles is known as what? The hall of faith. Very good. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Whereby the writer to the Hebrews presents these great examples of men and women who were ordinary in and of themselves and yet they had great faith. They were transformed by God and they believed and because of their belief, God used them to do pretty amazing things. And so... The writer to the Hebrews, and really God's word for you and I this morning, begins with this. Therefore, since you have a great high priest, and since you have a multitude of great examples of men and women who simply believed in God, transformed by their belief in God, were used of God in their endurance to make great impact, since we have this, let us also... Look at your text. Let us also... Now... What is this communicating to us? 
what it's communicating is that you and I are not just to sit in awe and then sit back on our couch. Right? We're not just to sit in awe of Jesus and sit in awe of other men and women of God who have been used to do great things, but rather, we're to get off the couch, okay? Get out of our lazy boy, alright? And get to work, right? We're to run the race. And so, I've entitled the message this morning, Running the Race. This is what God is encouraging you with this morning. You need to be engaged. Again, you've got a number. You've got a jersey. You're in a stadium. You're on a track. And you've been called by Jesus Christ to run. Are you running the race? Well, a question that you might ask at this point in the sermon is this. How? Okay, I'm with you, Dustin. I, I, I get it. Jesus is amazing. I love the fact that I've been forgiven and transformed. And I see that he's called me to run. But what am I supposed to do? Right? Why am I supposed to do it? Well, the beauty of this text is that it unfolds it very nicely. It unfolds, I would say to you, two major points. Number one, in order to run, you need freedom and you need focus. Would you check it out with me? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Question. Ever seen someone running on a track in a race in a parka? Probably not, right? Probably not. That would be very difficult to get a good time if you were encumbered by a parka, right? Rather, in a race... You need to be free. You need freedom, to use this metaphor of the race, which the Word of God uses. You need to be free. That you might flow, that you might run, and you get that image clearly in your mind. So, what does the Bible say that we need to be free from inside this metaphor for you and I as believers? First of all, he states, free from weights. Freedom to run, freedom from weights. He says, lay aside every weight. Uh, it is my opinion that the author here distinguishes between weights and sin. So, what are, what are weights? What are weights? Maybe we could say it this way. Anything that would slow you down. Anything that would slow you down. The, the point here being, you and I as believers need to be willing to set aside some things that we might truly run. All right. <laughs> we could spend the majority of our time right here. It won't, for sake of time, but we could spend a long time right here because I'm guessing you guys are a lot like me and you're busy. Is that true? Would you say, as you look at your life, dude, I'm busy. I meet with a lot of people on a weekly basis, a lot of people from Heritage, and usually inside our greetings, how's it going? What's going on? Busy. <laughs> Busy. It's literally like a rat race in this culture, isn't it? Running here, running there. 
deadlines, appointments, schedules. Some of us have color-coded schedules. Right? We're busy. Busy people. And I think the, the God of this world, Satan, I think he masterfully orchestrates things that distract us, that keep us busy. Things like Pinterest. I'm not here to talk about issues, my friends, but let me just say it to you honestly. Things like Pinterest and Facebook and Twitter, right? All that stuff comes where? It comes to your phones nowadays. So you and I can sit like this all day, okay? In our homes like this or watching TV. There's always stuff on. We can watch. We can consume. The busyness of work. When I moved here to the Midwest, I was introduced to the Midwestern work ethic, which not everybody has in the South, where I'm from, okay? I'm from North Carolina, and not everybody has that Midwestern work ethic, and I appreciate it, but there's a danger, isn't there? To be a workaholic, to be consumed by, i got to get this done, i got to advance this, 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 i got my schedules, I have my 401k, I've got to continue to build, etc., and so we have our lives consumed with a lot of stuff. Not necessarily sin. Probably not sin. In reference here to weights. But things that surely are slowing us down. Bogging us down. And so if you immerse your mind into the uh, metaphor of a race, we're not running with freedom. We're not sprinting with all we've got. We're kind of reduced to a crawl. At best. At times. You've got to Examine your own life. Evaluate your own life. As you consider this point, I, as I thought about it, I thought immediately of the Olympic Games. The Olympics are coming up again, right? And uh, in the Olympics, those people are big time disciplined, aren't they? They're constantly laying aside stuff. You know, in, in their lives, they certainly probably lay aside the fast food, right? Maybe lay aside that extra cookie or whatever because they're disciplining their bodies. Even 1 Corinthians 9 tells us about that. They discipline their bodies to gain a perishable beast. But even inside the Olympic events, what do you find? They, they lay aside other things, namely their clothes, right? <laughs> okay, I love... Michael Phelps and everything, but the swimmers are the worst, right? <laughs> and just being honest with you, like, I, the Speedo thing, like, I could never be a swimmer just because I, I would never be caught dead in one of those guys. So they're standing there, right, and you're watching them, and you're into it, right, because we're supporting our country. And I love Michael Phelps, but he's in there, he's standing there in his robe and stuff, and it never, never fails to shock me when the time comes to get on the podium, and they're like, whoa, that's the littlest Speedo I've ever seen right there, right? Do you have to go that far? But these guys are doing it. Why? Because they don't want anything to slow them down. And so rumor has it that they shave even all their body hair off, right? Because they're shaving off fractions of seconds. Why? So that they might not be slowed. And again, they do it to obtain a crown. They do it to obtain a gold medal. 
that they might stand on the podium and represent the country, bring their country glory or fame. What do you and I have to represent? Only the greatest kingdom, the greatest Savior. Again, if you know Jesus this morning, would you recognize with me that you're in the race? You're on the track. The question is, are you running? Or would a commentator describe you as more of a limp? Or more even of a crawl? Or maybe, in, maybe even off the track? These guys willingly sacrifice for the glory of Olympic gold. We have the opportunity to advance the glory and gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who made this place. Just think about that. Lay aside, the writer says, lay aside every weight. Consider in your mind things that may be slowing you down. Are there things in your life that as you evaluate yourself, you can put your finger on a few that may not necessarily be sin, but they're certainly slowing you down. So when it comes time for service inside the church, and Pat or somebody stands up here and says, and we're looking for men that we can train to be small group leaders. And you say, maybe someday. I'm too busy now. We need some more Sunday school teachers for children, or we need some more Sunday school teachers for adults, or whatever. Maybe someday. Too busy for that. We just need someone to come here and clean the church. Just once a quarter. Too busy for that. I'm sure someone else will volunteer. Too busy. Do we recognize that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that we are all placed within a body with a variety of gifts for the benefit of the whole? Could I suggest something to you this morning? It may be that there are families in this room this morning that are starving for ministry from the husband. There may be families in this room this morning that are starving for the ministry of the wife. Can I say something to you men? If you don't have time to minister the gospel regularly to your family, if you don't have time to serve your wife to love her as Christ loves the church, you're too busy. You're too busy. If you don't have time to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to your kids faithfully, you're too busy. You need to evaluate your life and say, you know what? This is something I like, but it's not a must. My kids need me. My kids need the gospel. My wife needs to be served, and so I'm going to sacrifice some of these things to do the things that I have to do, that Jesus Christ has called me to do. The implication of 1 Corinthians 12 is that, in many cases, people do not acknowledge that they are essential for the building up of the body of Christ, and so they leave the ministry inside the church to a few. And the statistics point to it. Like 10% of the people do 90% of the work, something like that. Misunderstanding of how the gospel has placed you into a family 
and has wired you and gifted you with gifts that are necessary for the building up of the body of Christ, and yet you and I sit back and say, somebody will do it. Somebody will volunteer to do it, right? I don't need to be involved. Sometimes we don't even view assemblies like this as opportunities to serve. Or maybe God wants to use you and your gift of encouragement just to come here and have your eyes up and not sending texts, but have your eyes up and say, who can I love this morning? Who can I put my arm around and find out that they're really going through a big trial in their life and I could encourage them, I could pray for them, I could meet them for coffee? What would the body of Christ be like if everybody came on a weekly basis with their eyes up to say, who can I bless this morning? Who can I minister to this morning? This is what God has called us to. This is all part of running the race. And yet many times, we are far too distracted, we are far too busy, and we would say we don't have time. Now, I would tell you honestly, I don't want you to get the idea that I'm preaching to you from this you know, elevated spot here and that it's not affecting me. Everything I'm saying to you is coming right, right back to my own heart because I'm busy. I've had to make some evaluations of my own life, and I think it's wise to do it seasonally in this culture. It's just wise to do it from time to time, maybe on a quarterly basis. Just evaluate, where am I spending my time? I've had to make decisions before to cut out some TV watching. Because it's so easy just to get in the habit of coming home, plopping down, and going at it, right, with my favorite shows. You can defend them. They're not necessarily bad or sinful, fun, things I enjoy. Not the best things, especially if I'm neglecting my wife or my kids or people inside the body of Christ that could use encouragement. I've had to make some decisions before to sacrifice some sleep. I've had to make decisions before to sacrifice some activities that I enjoy. Right? Why? Because I'm in a race. Why is it that Olympians do it with no problem? You and I call to this calling that's far greater than any Olympian. And we are in large part on the couch. We are in large part bogged down, tied up, slowed to a crawl. One author says this, the reward of the American dream, which we're so prone to, the reward of the American dream is safety, security, and success found in more comfort, better stuff, and greater prosperity. We're being groomed for this in our culture. I want more stuff more security, more safety, really more comfort. I want my life to really be cushy and pleasing to me. But the reward of Christ, he writes, trumps all these things and beckons us to live for an eternal safety, security, and satisfaction that far outweigh anything the world has to offer us. So Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. These will last eternally. Eternal impact. 
I think oftentimes an examination of our priorities really shows or indicates the pathetic nature of our love of God. That's really, really at the bottom line, I think, for me. I can talk a big game, but in reality, my actions and priorities show that my love for God is weak. What about your private worship of God? What about the time you spend in prayer communing with Him? Is God worthy of your time? Freedom from weights. We're flat out busy and it slows us to crawl. So number two you see in this text, freedom from sin. Anything that would take you out. Freedom from sin. Look at the text. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Freedom from weights, the things that will slow you down. Freedom from sin, these things that will take you out. Now, clarification that's needed here is this. We recognize that we're all sinners, right? And we all sin on a daily basis. We are sinners by nature. We're also sinners by choice. But in the fact that we are sinners, we recognize that we sin every day. And we are in desperate need of God's grace. And so, to go back into this metaphor that God is giving to us, is He saying, is He saying that you have to be perfect in order to run? That you have to be perfect in order to be engaged in ministry, in order to be engaged in the advance of His glory and gospel? Is that what He's saying? Not at all. Now, Again, I would remind you that if you've been justified, if God has drawn you to a place of repentance and faith and you're trusting in Him alone, you are declared righteous before the throne of God. You are positionally perfect. You are righteous in the record of heaven, which is awesome, okay? But here, horizontally, we all recognize, or at least I hope we recognize, that we're not perfect. That we're far from it. We're still sinners here. And so... To that question, is God saying you have to be perfect in order to run this race? No, He's not. I think what the author is driving here is driving at here is those besetting sins. Those unique temptations that each of you individually immediately know. You don't need someone to point them out to you most of the time. You know the things that are a unique struggle for you. Okay, it could be as simple as a running mouth, a gossip. It could be sexual temptation. That's yeah, really a unique stronghold or struggle for you. It could be bitterness. That you're still hanging on to stuff and you just can't let stuff go. Right? It could be greed. A number of things. It could be for your life. But really the point is, is not to try to narrow down in this setting what those unique struggles are, because you know them. Okay, So generally, I will speak to it, in this battle that wages every day between the flesh and the Spirit. There is a battle going on, if you know Jesus, in your heart on a daily basis, and it's a war between the flesh 
and the Spirit. And uh, Paul talks about that uh, beautifully in, in Galatians chapter 5, that these two war against one another. Because you still have that remaining flesh that's sinful. Okay? And so it's a battle. And if you know Jesus this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that struggle. Okay? You know that battle. All right? What, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying in this text, Hebrews chapter 12, is this. There are besetting sins that are unique temptations to you that if you are not battling and gaining some level of victory through the Spirit, you're not running. These sins are taking you off the track. Like you're, you're knelt down beside the track. And the way in which God could use you is not happening. The way in which God desires to use you in your families, in your church, in your places of work, etc., it's not happening. Why? Because you're not running. In this race that He's called you to, you're not running. You've been taken out by these besetting sins. These sins which, as the text says, cling so closely. And the idea is that they're wrapped around you in this metaphor and you can't run. You seeing this? You can't run. Why? Beset by sin. And so, the writer to the Hebrews is saying this to you and I. You're called to run, but you need the freedom to run. Freedom from weights, anything that would slow you down, but also freedom from sin. Hear this really convicting quote from John Stott. He writes, To sow to the sinful nature or the flesh is to pander to it, to cuddle it, to stroke it, instead of crucifying it and putting it to death. Every time we allow our minds to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, Every time we lie in bed when we know we ought to be up and praying. Every time we read pornographic literature. Every time we take a risk which strains our self-control. We are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Hear this line. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. They wonder... Why isn't God using me? Why don't I love Him more? Why don't these songs move my heart? We're sowing, sowing, sowing constantly to the flesh and our heart is getting colder and colder. What God is saying to us in Hebrews chapter 12 is, is very simple. You need to lay those things aside so that you can run. God, through His Spirit, needs to do a work in your life to bring about freedom. When I was in high school, I was a, just a basketball junkie. I loved basketball and played it all the time. And one of the things that my coach and my dad used to do was he, he forced me to uh, wear ankle weights on my legs during scrimmages. And he wanted to increase my, my quickness or whatever, my speed or whatever. And so I, I would have these five-pound weights on my ankles. And it doesn't sound like much, but it is, actually. It's, it's, it's quite heavy. But you sort of get used to them. 
And I would play in this scrimmage for like 30 minutes with these ankle weights on. But then, at a certain point, I could take them off. And I'm just telling you, for a few moments, I thought, man, I'm like MJ, man. I can fly. (laughs) Right? Because when I released those guys, it was amazing how quick and how fast I felt without those weights. That's exactly what God, through His grace and His gospel, desires to deliver to you. That you might come to the cross, and there you will guarantee it, promise it, you will find mercy, you will find grace because of our great high priest. And you can come this morning recognizing, that's me! I have been encumbered. I have been trapped. I've been strangled, as it were, by the effects of these weights and by the effects of these sin. And I need to be released. I need freedom. And it's wonderful. And this is what God, through His Holy Spirit, offers to you this morning. You need freedom. You can have it. You can have it because of His grace. But you need to exercise your responsible will. Come to the cross. There, find His grace, find His mercy. You need freedom. Secondly, you need focus. As any good track coach would tell you, in a race, you need to keep your eyes where? Right on, man. Right on. Forward. You need to keep your eyes on the finish line. In your lane. Horse Horses have blinders, do they not? Keep their gaze forward. So even if you didn't run track, you probably had races when you were kids. Every kid loves to race. My my little boys love to race right now. Every night, race upstairs, Daddy. Let's race upstairs. So any any of you probably uh, had races in kindergarten, first grade, maybe field day, and your parents were like, don't wave at us, right? Don't look behind you or to your side. Look down the track, right? Look at the finish line. Fix your eyes on that point. So inside this metaphor, it's beautiful how the author unfolds it. Inside this metaphor of a race, he says, not only do you need freedom to run, you need focus. And where is that focus? Well, the focus is upon Jesus. Did you check it out, verse 2? Looking to Jesus. Another translation, fixing, I actually like this a little bit better, fixing your eyes on Jesus. It communicates this piercing stare. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Who is what? Who is the founder and perfecter of our faith? Another translation puts it this way, the author and finisher of of our faith. Jesus is the architect. Jesus is the initiator, the creator of this beautiful and wonderful redemptive plan. He's also the finisher, the completer, the closer, if you will, of this redemptive plan. He fashioned it before the foundations of the world were even laid, willing to come to fulfill this redemptive plan, to be the high priest who didn't sacrifice a lamb but became that lamb. Just amazing to think about. And then he cried, it is finished. The atoning work 
has been completed. And so inside this redemptive plan, Jesus is the author of it. He is the finisher of it. Know know with me what it says next. As the author and finisher, He took joy. One of the craziest lines in the New Testament for me. He took joy. He took joy in being hung on a Roman cross. He took joy in coming underneath the weight of the wrath of God for sin. He took joy in that. You just think about this for a moment. My friend, think about it. Allow yourself, allow your mind to marinate in the truth about your great Savior. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. Are you motivated by His love this morning? Are you motivated by His love? He took joy in this sacrifice. Now, make this personal for a moment. Just think about this. Make it personal for you. If you know Jesus this morning, just just think about really the mind-bending truth that before the foundations of the world were even laid, Jesus looked out into the annals of history and saw your face, saw your face, and was willing, was willing to leave heaven, to come here, to live perfectly, and to die for you so that He could redeem you, so that He could buy you back, so that He could choose you to be a part of His family. Isn't that amazing? To adopt you into His family. This is His great love. It's magnificent, isn't it? It is the most motivating thing that you'll ever hear about. It's crazy. It's truly crazy. He took joy in all of this. And again, make it personal. Not not just for us, but for me. Jesus saying, I know the very number of the hairs on your head, which for me is like, he's he's counting fast because mine's going, right? He, He knows you personally. He has joy in coming to die and ransom you. It's amazing. As we run this race, there's no way we can run without gazing at Jesus. He is our motivation. We are also motivated and empowered by His victory. Continue with this text. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated... He is not defeated, my friends. He is seated in His rightful place. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as Philippians 2 so eloquently puts it, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, He is high. He is lifted up. He is exalted. He's in His rightful place as the Son of God and great high priest who mediates on behalf of His people. He is victorious. Isn't that great? He is victorious. Amen? Not bad. He is victorious. He has won. And it's so encouraging. As Bruce writes, commentator on Hebrews, Jesus is presented as the one 
who has blazed the trail of faith and, has, and as the one who himself ran the race of faith to its triumphant finish. It's triumphant finish. He opened the way for us to follow. And so 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this. Death is swallowed up in victory. One of my favorite lines, because I just love the mental image that creates in my mind of death being swallowed up in victory. Just think about it. It's cool. If, again, if you know Jesus, it should be exciting for you. Right? Because at times it looks like the God of this world and the system of this world is pretty threatening. Right? But when you are staring at Jesus, when you are marinating your mind in the gospel, you're recognizing, man, these are just little menacing threats. These little menacing threats. When Jesus came out of that tomb, death was swallowed up. He has no more room to say anything. He is completely swallowed up in what? In victory. So, we can stand back and say, Death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It is gone. Why? Because Jesus Christ has won. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ has won. And so we are, in this race, motivated and empowered by His love and by His victory. And so, what is the point we're driving at? The point is that you can't run this race on your own. What I don't want you to leave with is this. I don't want you to leave with this sort of roid rage mentality that I'm going to go run the race, right? I'm going to leave this stuff behind. I'm going to get rid of this stuff, and I'm going to run this race, and I'm going to do it, right? Because what you're seeing in this message is this dual aspect. You are responsible you are responsible to evaluate your life, to prioritize your life in a proper way, an appropriate way. You are responsible to repent of your sin and bring it to the cross. But you can't do the race on your own. You can't run this race on your own. You need Jesus. And so I would encourage you, as I seek to encourage our church every weekend, you need to learn to preach the gospel to yourself every day to rehearse these truths, that Jesus Christ is one and that He has provided all that you need. Through His Spirit, He has empowered you. Okay, so in His victory, He is empowering you. Empowering you. And Paul understood this well. Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Revolution transformation in his life. The bottom line here is that we need his grace. You and I are responsible in our priorities, responsible in this moment if God through his spirit is convicting your life, convicting your heart, you're responsible to repent. Come to the cross afresh and anew this morning. Repent. Be released to run. But in so doing, you and I must recognize that daily, Moment by moment, we need His grace. We desperately need His grace. And again, it's, it's why it's so beautiful that in Hebrews, He is telling us, you have that grace. Because Jesus Christ mediates for you.
So you are welcome to come boldly before the throne of grace at any time and there find comfort and grace to help in time of need. And so the urgency is to run this race. You need freedom. You need focus. In conclusion, let me read to you just just a little section of this, this wonderful book called Tempted and Tried by Russell Moore. He writes, The Gospel reminds us all lifelong that we have one who has gone ahead as a forerunner on our behalf. We hear, therefore, a voice telling us to be strong and courageous. For I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter how wild, as a result of the temptations we face, no matter how wild you feel inside, He is the only one with the authority to tell the devil to be gone. So hear this little anecdote. In my nightly Bible readings with my family, I read a selective narrative in the canon. But every night, my children beg me to read the one about the snake. For some reason, they love to hear about Moses combating the fiery serpents in the wilderness with the bronze serpent on the pole and about the afflicted finding healing when they look at the emblem of the very curse that's killing them. My little boys don't simply have a morbid fascination with venomous snakes among the wandering Israelites. In fact, they're never satisfied to end the story there. They wait in silence until we turn to what they call the other pole, the picture of the cross of Christ. That's when I tell them how mysteriously this seemingly helpless, executed man confronted the snake of Eden right there on the other pole and finally did what God had promised since the beginning of history. He crushed its head. He went out beyond the gates of Jerusalem to where the wild things are and he conquered wilderness forever. And they seem to sleep better at night hearing that. And so do I. I read that to you because I read that so encouraging for me and affirming for me that there is victory in the gospel. So God has called you. You have numbers on your chest. You have a jersey. You're in a stadium. You're on a track with a calling of God to run. How might you run? You need freedom. The freedom to run And you need focus. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the author. He is the perfecter of faith. And he is providing for you everything that you need. So run the race. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace. We desperately need it. I pray, God, that through your spirit, you would accomplish what you need to this morning. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.